Greetings, dear listener. This is Ian McKenzie. The following is a conversation recap for our Pandemic is a Prism series, where Zamir and I harvest our reflections after each session. It is recommended you listen first to the full episode with the guest, and then come here afterward. Enjoy. And we are live once again. My name is Ian McKenzie. I'm joined here by my good brother. Hi, everyone. Zamir here. Looking forward to uh, getting into this recap territory, this really pretty fascinating conversation we had with Tyson yesterday. Mm. Yeah. And just to uh, bring the listener here into that, whether or not you uh, were live for that conversation, we spoke with Tyson Yonkaporta, who's the author of the book Sand Talk, How Indigenous Wisdom Can Save the World. Uh, bold declaration. And um, the book itself, though, both of us agreed was quite a um, detonation in how, how we understand or how we've, how, how can we approach this subject matter? <laughs> and, uh, and Tyson himself, who I had the pleasure of interviewing actually in my mythic masculine podcast a year ago, it was great to revisit, um, and, and once again, be joined by him. And I'll say in, in many ways, he's, he's, he's not necessarily like one would expect based on the book. Uh, you know, he has a kind of, um, kind of like wild uh, uh, a genius about him um, that, you know, he's very he's kind of like straight up, but he's also very um, tongue in cheek in some ways, as we found in our. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a ride and I'm really appreciating it. And I wonder, yeah, Zamir, what were some of the main impressions that you took away? Uh, well, it, as you said, it was, it was definitely some fun moments when we sort of tongue in cheeked it where, um, especially at, at that one point in the conversation where he said, well, you know, if we were, to, you know, in an in, in Aboriginal or Indigenous culture, it would sort of be uh, this idea of like smaller groups conferring on um, what's happening in dialogue and relationship with the land and their environment. Um, and it's not sort of like a top down authoritarian, but more while tuning in to the voices of elders who really do have their ear to the ground. But you know, as in within small groups, all within sort of their own little bioregions, determining how they're responding to events. Um, and that would happen in a multiplicity of skull, small scale units. And, uh, and I was like, well, you know, what, if, you know, how do we, how do we do that now? And he's like, absolutely impossible. <laughs> you know, like, he said they, they'd, send the, they'd send in the agents or something to shut it down, I think. Exactly. So he sort of, he sort of painted this sort of this dystopian vision of a future where it could happen. But if everything was modeled through uh, a metaverse and all your land based environments were calculated as individual data points and the specific solution would be delivered to you as an individual. Um, mm -hmm. And it was uh, it was humorous, but at the same time, a bit unnerving because you realize that, wow, wait a minute. Uh, perhaps there are that is um, within this sort of paradigm of of, of control, uh, this technological utopia that we are being fed, that we that it, we will arrive at that place, but one in which we don't actually have to really listen to anything, but everything is already figured out and being listened to for us by artificial intelligence telling us, well, this is how you respond. And I think that's uh, in a way unnerving, but also showing, well, wait a minute, is that sort of what we're moving towards is that what's being fed towards us you know what i mean mm -hmm. well i'm thinking of that I, I think it was a quote from Lao Tzu. but you can maybe uh correct me on it but it was something like yeah if you don't change direction you'll end up where you're going yeah yeah something like exactly that. Yeah. yeah 
and that, you'll, end that, up where, you'll end up where you're headed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that to me seems to be, again, it speaks to all the way back to our first conversation with Charles uh, and this idea that it's it, this, this sort of emergent outcome of the system has a, has a trajectory baked in. And by it being able to f- see a bigger picture, then of course the focus on, for example, just the vaccine, I think one is able to kind of necessarily perceive that there's a certain momentum and a certain way of responding um, from a top-down, you know, nation, state, uh, monotheistic way that is absolutely part of the equation. Um, and, and to deny that um, is the case or to deny that momentum is there, I think feels a bit like a sort of mass gaslighting to the populace, right? Or at least the ones that... Um, in what less. sense? You mean well, to, to, to not acknowledge that it's a necessary part of the system? Like, if you have a nation, well, you need to have these, you know, top-down, uniform public health responses, as he called them? Yeah, well, th- again, this is like, um, there was a piece that came out uh, about halfway through last summer, um, which, again, was it was pre-vaccination, but the vaccines were coming. And it was, say, the, the title was something like, um, be prepared for the most intense gaslighting you've ever experienced in your life or something like that it was a kind of hyperbolic headline but it was actually very astutely written uh the piece which is basically saying they will very quickly like the powers that be persuade you to go back to normal as soon as possible or or to try to to think that normal was good right like there's that this sense of those moments of lucidity of for example like tyson saying he's at home and he's like wow you know i've uh for the first time i feel like i'm actually a parent maybe not just a father Right, like you can almost feel that sense of um, surprise and and perhaps like depth, right, within that recognition. Mm-hmm. And it seems that that's perhaps granted by the fact that you know, not certainly in Australia, especially too, that lockdowns, not a lot of movement, and that there's certain gifts in that, um, or the gifts of not being able to just fly around everywhere. I mean, again, depending on your uh, access or social class. Um, but again, so these these gems of possibility, right, of of lucidity of what matters and actually like, where are we going? Like to even see that, right. To make it more plain, you know, smoke Mm. clearing above cities that are polluted and seeing, you know, the mountains for the first time. I think I remember hearing Nepal and stuff. Right. So it's like, but, but the, the, the amnesiatic system, right. Empire wants to say, no, 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 don't worry about that stuff. Like you don't really care about that stuff. This, you know, get back to the program. Here we go. And so that's, I guess what he's saying, I think too, that this, um, that's all part of baked in to this technocratic agenda, which um, is in some ways inevitable based on a system that is utterly convinced of itself. Right. And, and I think we talked about this right at a personal level, like how to make it more like, so what does that actually mean at the individual level in a sense? And yeah, yeah. Tyson talks a lot about narcissism um, uh, as you know, I, I interpret narcissism from at least what he mentions in his book a lot as, I mean, essentially like a, I mean, in some ways, classically a fixation on the self, but yeah. the way that I think it, it it's understood perhaps as dangerous in a in a cultural context or a relational context is um, the inability to to recognize one's own relatedness with others, and therefore the consequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when we have that on mass, um, for example, like nation states are could be seen possibly as essentially. Um, kind of you know large scale narcissism metastasizes these these entities right and 
<laughs> and we don't tend to question that within a system that it, it's normalized. So again, right. all of these things, right, are hard to see when you're in the system itself because they're the way it is. Yeah, you know, interesting. Um, one thing that really stood out to me as we were talking about this with Tyson um, was the story that he he told about the, um, you know, he, he was told to go scare away some bats in order to protect the elders of Brisbane, right? And uh, in the process of, of doing this, uh, there was an unintended consequence whereby there was like a, a rabies outbreak or something like that, you know, further north where all these bats had, had gone and he'd felt this yeah. guilt that he'd been carrying, right? Um, and that, you know, that, that even within a so-called, you know, a listening in or indigenous approach to how to be able to uh, deal with a crisis, uh, there are unintended consequences. And that even in the process, their focus was how do we protect the people that are here, not necessarily knowing how it's going to affect people upstream, right? Mm. Um, and that that it's it's easy to cast blame. I mean, if we look at, for example, what's happening with vaccinations, it's the same kind of concern, right? That is like, okay, well, we got to protect all these people, especially the elderly. And in the process of doing it, there's a lot of fallout that could happen in terms of how it might impact other people unintentionally and having to make a decision quickly saying, well, but this is, this is the best response that we can do. Um, and it allows us to, I feel, when you see that either side of the equation could be vulnerable could be uh, culpable of the same kind of consequence, it, um, it makes it less adversarial. You sort of start to say like, oh wait, maybe that could be me too. Because I think that narcissism can play on both sides of the fence. Sure. Right? Um, there's this line, I wrote an article many years ago called Bodhisattvas of Burnaby Mountain, where there were the Burnaby Mountain protests that were happening, uh, much like what's happening with Fairy Creek today. And there's this uh, there's this line from Joseph Campbell's interview with Bill Moyers, and, and I'd like to read it. Um, sure. it. It's quite compelling. So what happens is, <clears throat> so Bill Moyers says, you say that mythology is the study of mankind's one great story. What is that one great story? And Joseph Campbell says that we have come forth from the one ground of being as manifestations in the field of time. The field of time is a kind of shadow play over a timeless ground. And you play the game in the shadow field. You enact your side of the polarity with all of your might. But you know that your enemy, for example, is simply the other side of what you would see as yourself if you could see from the position of the middle. Hmm. And that's a challenging thing to do, to see from the position of the middle and know that the enemy that you perceive on the other side could actually be you if you were in their shoes or in their situation, right? And, and, and you know, you, he brought up, you brought up the subject of looking through polarities with him. Yeah. Well, this, you know, I've got a, I got a sort of, I got my yes and, or what did he say again? He said, it's good yeah, to have the yeah, yes, but. but. Yes, but, yeah. <laughs> okay, this, this to me would be yes, but, because, um, you know, I really, I return. I, I mean, I hear that quote too. And I, I think like, oh, it's so you know beautiful and inclusive in some ways. And then also I, I feel like, well, wait a second. I mean, there's such a thing as being aligned with the land and not, right? Like it's one thing to say, for example, we use example, Fairy Creek. Those listening may have some sense of the, the old growth forests are being chopped down here on Vancouver Island. Um, 
And there's been a year long or over year long now resistance movement to stop that. And one could say like, yeah, I mean, I could empathize with the loggers, you know, they got to support their families and empathize with the shareholders, you know, of the corporation that, you know, want to return on their investment, like genuinely, right. One could do it. But at the end of the day, one could say, well, yeah, but one of those remain, one of the sides has old growth still in the air, you know, and the other doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I, so that's, I guess I'm trying to say that this, the kind of calls for a sort of universal inclusivity also to me needs to be able to take a stand of what is aligned with the land or not. And, and well, you know, Tyson's, the interview I did with Tyson, yeah, I called it the laws in the land because that is the central orientation by which we need to take orders from right in a way or orientation from i should say and civilization i would say as a as a core um note is not in contact with life like it's not really not in a relational way because it's based fundamentally on domination um and that's you know again a big topic that we've talked about in the past that essentially or he like he said too that's the, this cultural need to um impose order on perce perceived chaos Right. I would actually say that that is the core sort of approach of Western civilization, that that the, this idea of taming the chaos of nature. Um, and it runs right mythologically through the battle of you know, Tiamat and, you know, all this Western Gilgamesh. You know, we, we could really go deep here, but um, that to me is like that's the frequency of it. Right. It, it's trying to control something which is inherently feels fearful, whereas if you're trying to engage with a complex system, and you understand how to engage with a complex system, not by imposing artificial simplicity, but uh, I would call it a kind of rituals of reciprocity, right? Which to me is like a part of that deep wisdom that Tyson speaks about in his book, right? And, and he has those beautiful different minds as like technologies in a way of being in contact and actually listening and learning. And, you know, and you even have that sequence you gave, right? Like, like respect, connect. Um, I can't remember the other two, but yeah, yeah, like that order to me is, I mean, it's a real deep, um, uh, like, like how the manner of approach does become everything in terms of what happens. Absolutely. I, I, I completely am with you on that in, um, and, and even what Campbell said is that, you know, our role is to enact our side of the polarity with all our might. You know, he says, that's what we we're here to do. Right. Uh, yeah. Which sounds a little bit like, you know, well, if I, if I decide, well, I, I'm actually Darth Vader, so I really got to give her as Darth Vader. No, like, you're example, not. He's not consciously saying that, but he's yeah. convicted. He has a conviction. Yeah. And he's following through on his conviction. It's not a judgment of whether it's the right or wrong conviction, but this is his conviction. And if you, if we look at, you know, the kind of wisdom that Tyson brought forth in his book, um, wow, you, you talked about, you've used this term achieved wonder. Right. As if the ability to wonder is something that's achieved through uh, many trial and tribulation, through many to, through many fair failures, through the ability to return to the ignorance that we carry again and again with a sense of humility. Right. For him, how many walkabouts he had to do, how many yarns he had to, how many things he had to carve, how many different things he had to go to arrive at this place. Right. It's an it's something that's achieved. Now, if you're uh, if you're in completely disconnected from that and you're not achieved in any of these ways and you're you're coming from a, a, a completely different paradigm where all you've known is forget about the respect and connect you just are all about direct right and you're coming from this paradigm and 
you have a public health crisis and you have to manage a nation and someone says, well, we don't have the capacity to, we don't even know how to listen. We don't even know how to listen to the land. We don't even know how, we don't even have distributed networks to be able to draw the different voices and to coordinate nuanced bioregional responses based on different needs and immune systems. You're just like, okay, well, all I know how to do is this. Maybe we can get this one solution and it can affect as many people as possible. And I won't have this much blood on my hands. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that it's there isn't vested interest, corporate interest from pharmaceutical companies and all that stuff aside. I'm just saying you can see where this other person might be coming from. Right. Mm -hmm. If this is all they know. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't mean you have to say, well, that's OK, fine. Let's just go along with it. You have to enact your side of the polarity. But if you, you know, you're you you, you got to understand where the other one is. Otherwise, you're operating in your own sort of, sort of biases that, that make you disconnected from another person's reality. Well, this to me also is, is where one can, I think, find a seat of. Uh, and again, I, th I think Charles, for some of this, um, he's spoken to this you know, in different f format and context. But this idea that granting the other a sort of foundational respect that look if if i lived exactly as i li as they lived right and saw as they saw had the information they did i would think the same way like and and to con to to claim otherwise right is a kind of uh it's a kind of conceit that I mean, you can't really verify in a sense because you haven't lived their life but it sort of grants like okay you know to to them fully that is their that that's what's true for them now that's not the same also as saying okay so go live and let live everything's fine um as in there's still consequence to that obviously right of course yeah and and so for me where i'm trying to situate that my understanding is um you know something he said around this idea of mutations right and like tracking the different mutations and the, the sort of great dream or the dreaming like all is dreaming you know he talks about his his elder mentor in the book saying hey all is dreaming i mean even all the you know technological doodads and the rare metal mining and i mean it's all part of the dreaming and and this idea of mutations. And one thing I, we didn't ask Tyson about, cause I did feel I hadn't really baked it yet, but I would be curious to bring it up here. Is this idea like, well, wait a second. So let's say if the virus is, as it seems to be coming out more in the news now, I think likely or possibly to be cooked up in a lab actually, that it was sort of uh, intentionally mutated. Um, and, you know, we could spend some time there. Um, but just to say, let, let's say it's that. I mean, the gain or, of function, the yeah, gain, the gain of, of function, function research that was done. Exactly. You can research that online if you want. Um, so let's say it's that. And or it's the, you know, wet market leap from species to species. And then that's how it got out. Like, let's, okay. Regardless of those uh, origin stories, in terms of how to contend with it, what might the agency of the virus be having on us? Or could it be inviting on us? And by that, I'm trying to say what the, the phrase came to me um, is the virus trying to mutate us. And that's the thing that's got me right now that I'm really wondering, like to, to really think about that. Right. What to, to so if humanity as a whole, largely a globally interconnected organism. Right. Right now, um, sort of drawn up in this tentacle grip of uh, liberal capitalism um, in a lot of places and sort of more authoritarian than others, but sort of in this interconnected web, here comes this being, right? And if it's all dreaming, um, what might it be trying to, how might it be trying to mutate us and into what? 
Do you mean in a sense as if this virus, virus in an anthropomorphic sense, like it has this volition that is in intentionally? Because I don't believe that there, this virus has some high high enough consciousness to decide that it wants to influence yeah. us or something like that. Sure. And I don't necessarily even like one doesn't even have to grant that level of sort of conscious intent. That's not what right. I'm trying to say. But okay. again, this idea that you know the wild has big plans in the sense, but they don't necessarily involve humans. Or you could say humans are not the center of the story, as as Sophie, you know, as eloquently said last week. Um, and there's narratives that are unfolding of which humans we are not the main characters. And so, in that sense, what I'm I'm allowing in or trying to wrestle with, right, is this idea like, okay, if we were willing to be changed, actually, by the presence of this one, hmm. what what might we be changed into? And you know, again, from the paradigm of control in civilization the the response is you know lockdown control destroy uh banish you know all these ways and so we can get on with it is is the sort of undercurrent right so we can get on with humans best intent for uh for for ourselves really i mean i call this modern dominant civilization paradigm um and yet there seems to be an invitation here which again is easy to miss again and again and again to be willingly mutated by the presence of this one. Uh, I think, right? I think I, I feel maybe the word I might use is that there's consistently invitations uh, individually or collectively to transform, that there's this endless sure. transformational process and invitation that is part of our evolution. And, you know, we see in our own lives again and again, that we are beset by crisis or we're beset by illness. And, and each time, you know, the diagnosis doesn't actually indicate what the underlying cause is. And if we're able to go to the underlying cause and release that, transformation happens because it's some some limitation within the within the system, some false identification or some wound that we're carrying or whatever it is, right? So I think that any crisis does invite, bring up stuff to the surface that is asking to be transformed. And if we can see it in as you said, generally, we, we don't, we just, you know, take that pill or bandaid over the thing. Um, and, and I think part of the intention of this series is to be able to look at these different areas that are begging to say, well, look at me too. listen to me. And, and I think that he's, sorry, did you want to interject there? Oh, just, yeah, what comes to me is there's the chapter in Tyson's book, right, on the origin of the educational system, right, the formal educational system which was really interesting to me i mean i'd heard some aspects of it in the past but he he wrote it in a compelling way yes it was right? yeah that he was basically bringing forth that the origin of um essentially mass public education was primarily to create essentially compliant workers in a mass economic system which again is not news to many people i mean i, I think there's the sense of that for a lot and and the school system of course has evolved in some ways since then but, you know, when I think about the question too, for example, all of the sort of heart wrenching decisions that need to be made for parents to send their school, their kids to schools and, and needing to wear masks and, you know, keeping them home or homes going to like, and the, I don't think the right sort of real um, wrestling has arisen, yeah. right? Which is why are we trying to mass indoctrinate children still into a system itself, which is largely heading off a cliff? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, so, it, so and I think the, that's part of the, the disc that that's what's bringing up so much of the, you know, revolution, quote unquote. I mean, the, there's all of these um, layers 
uh, bubbling layers of discontent below the surface of society that are waiting to be erupt and there's powder kegs and this happens to be a powder keg where people are really disgruntled with the healthcare system they're disgruntled with the educational system they're disgruntled with the way in which social media manipulates information i mean it's all beneath the surface but this is bringing it up now to really be seen and that's where revolution and transformation becomes possible if we can talk about it but you know um, I, I read a book when I was when I was young. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is called Catfish and Mandala. And it's a man who goes back to Vietnam to sort of reconnect to his roots. And he has this line about the Vietnam War. And he, he says it's about all revolutions. And he says, and this was a revolution where everything shifts, but nothing changes. Mm. Okay. You know, the danger of revolutions is that things shift, which gives us the illusion of change, but it doesn't really change, doesn't really transform. And that's why we have to, the kind of inquiry that's being invited is if we, if it really is going to be a revolution, we need to wrestle with these things more deeply. Right. And that's where the invitation of some of these other speakers, which I found challenging myself because I see myself wanting the answer right away. And what's getting thrown back to me is, Learn, learn to sit more deeply with the question and wonder. Otherwise, you're just going to try to apply the, the, the convenient or the quick solution that you were seeking, but actually it's not really going to change it deep underneath, right? Mm. And, you know, we're, we're sitting in that place of how do we do that work, right? Mm. Or we're doing it. Well, you know. well the, I mean, the, uh, this is something Steve has uh, hammered into me over and over again, which is work is the thing you're least inclined to do. <laughs> Right. Uh, true work. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's never meant sort of drudgery at a nine to five, you know, it's, it's a different kind of work, like the spirit work. And, you know, this might be a good time now to sort of segue into our next speaker uh, next week, Kelly Brogan, who I would say uh, one is named as one of the disinformation dozen by a uh, certain uh, panel, or I think the, the, the government panel of, of misinformation or, or hate, online which is quite a big charge so she's included in that um as well as uh really one of the people that seem to be like holding a real torch for this idea of personal sovereignty you know escaping the matrix um, body autonomy like all of these languages that have languages that or words that have shown up around this whole idea of like reclaiming one's own accountability or responsibility within this system and then and then for what? Like, this is where I'm really curious to go because if we have people who are willing to say step outside in a meaningful way, and then, and then what though, right? What comes after that? Uh, that's different than before. Um, and can you have a sort of meaningful revolution of individuals, right? That, right. And Tyson, Tyson brought that up, right? Is that there's always this tension and the polarity that we spoke of is between the individual and collective. And that it's an ancient one, but he said that within sort of a Western a modernist culture, this is a this is a this is an oppositional polarity where he says, whereas the way it's approached in indigenous cultures, that there's there's actually always this sort of dialogue and negotiation within it. Mm -hmm. Um how do we find that dialogue and negotiation? Because if you hold this one too strong, and I'm sure we'll ex show it to her. The opposite is going to say, well, you know what, then we're going to hold this really strong. And that's where conflict arises. So where is the room for negotiation, right? How does it work? I, I don't know, but let, we'll explore it, I imagine. Mm. Yeah, well, looking forward to it. I feel like uh, maybe that's a good place to end our conversation here today. Um, thank you all for tuning in online. And if uh, you want to 
catch the whole interview we did with Tyson, head to uh, the Prism as a Pandemic, which is, there we go, on the bottom, uh, as well as the all the other conversations are available to access there. As we said, um, next week we have Kelly Brogan on, and uh, there's going to be 12 sessions now total. Initially started with eight, but we thought this is just too good to, to stop too early, and so we've added now a few more and some surprises to come. So, yeah, thanks to all of you who joined us on this journey, this big grand yarn. Zemir, grand yarn. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Ian. And uh, okay. to be continued. Okay.